is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, April 11th, 2020. Um, I don't know how to say this in a properly respectful way after that introduction. Um, I, I'm going to have to like slow down and 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 allow my voice to become more reflective and more somber. It's Easter weekend, folks, and so um, I want to wish you a happy Easter and uh, you know encourage you to meditate on the meaning, the real meaning of this holiday, and also to enjoy the holiday with family. Um, as long as that won't get you arrested in whatever jurisdiction you're in. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us uh, Easter weekend. I hope that everybody gets uh, everything they need out of a holiday that where we usually get together and celebrate. Uh, at a, a time, it's tough to do that. I think I, I think I managed that tradition well. I think that would, or that transition well. I think that was tasteful. That was sufficiently somber and and respectful. I just. Gotta try to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That could have been very abrupt. I mean, that could have been one of those, you know, accidentally shift from fifth gear to first situations. (laughs) Um, Uh, Your reputation precedes you. Uh, Of course. I had somebody somebody today who apparently has been like sampling Geek Gab. Uh, or at least I assume it's Geek Gab. Uh, if they're if they were sampling the other YouTube channel, which hasn't had anything go up on it in like five years, um, you know, I'll be like, ah, no. But I, I think they were sampling Geek Gab, and he's like, you need to be a carnival barker for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Step right up. Come get uh, Daddy Warpig's delicious candies. That didn't come out right, but I think you get the idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like we should move on to a subject that's less embarrassing for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, less t- embarrassing subject for me. I wrote a 28-tweet rant on Twitter today. <laughs> right. I see what you did there. Now, what what non-embarrassing topic was this 28-tweet rant on? I analyzed a 30-year-old movie from a military... A 30-year-old horror action movie from a military perspective. Now... That's less embarrassing. That's less embarrassing. <laughs> well, I mean, that is... The, the, the internet is for three things. Is for... Cats, something else uh, that it uh, not safe for work, and discussing thirty-year-old artifacts of pop culture through <laughs> <laughs> through different lenses. Uh, no, it it's the Aliens movie, and uh, one of the friends of the show, one of our friends, Jeffro Johnson, um, dropped a uh, scathing two sentence review of Alien um, that was I, I just well whatever but he got me thinking about Aliens uh, and so I wrote a little bit about it and then I was thinking about it again today and just kind of posted and then started posting more about it and then uh, it grew longer and longer and I'm just like I don't care I'll, I'll stop I'll stop when I run out of material or I run out of time and I ran out of time. (laughs) But it's, it's an analysis of aliens and what, uh, what all military mistakes um, the people in aliens made to cause the disaster of uh, that you see in the movie. Um, and and it's actually when you look at it, it really is a disastrous 
small unit action. Uh, it's terrible. Um, I mean, have you have just? I'm assuming you haven't done what I have done because you're sane. Correct. Well, the first part, yeah. <laughs> sane, sane. I'm not so sure. It's, but if you're if you were to make a guess, what would you say some of the mistakes they made in the movie are? Well, I mean, the one that's that's obvious in the script, which is they've got a resource, an intelligence resource with the group. Ripley says, hey, I actually know what we're up against. You guys aren't prepared. We need to leave now, right? Nuke it from orbit. <laughs> Yeah, and and which is of course she might as well have been speaking directly at the camera because the whole audience is like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's I mean that's the big obvious one is is to recognize that they are in over their head and and escape while they could. Yeah, she at, at many many times they disregard her advice. You've got a technical advisor there whose advice you don't listen to. That's a huge mistake. Um, and there's some others. For example, uh, Marine units, and I'm just assuming because it's the United States Colonial Marines, they're using the same structure as uh, the United States Marine Corps. Marine platoons are broken up into squads, and a squad is usually about 13 people or so, give or take. Um, and they're broken up into fire teams of four Marines apiece. So when you look at and count, and I did, I counted three times this morning just to make sure I hadn't made a mistake somewhere. There are only eight shooters on that in the movie. They brought in two fire teams. They didn't even bring in a full squad to engage with potentially up to 180 aliens. Eight people with guns. Mm. That's just way ridiculously outmanned, way ridiculously outgunned. Uh, and the sentence I wrote was, aliens is a perfect example of what happens to good soldiers when you send them in undermanned, undersupported, and uninformed against a numerically and physically superior enemy who knows the terrain. But that was part of the plot. That was That's part of the drama is that you discover in the movie that the Marines were deliberately sent on a suicide mission. Now, the, the corporation didn't know that there were 187. They didn't know it was a full-blown uh, alien colony. They just put these people's uh, lives at risk to attempt to recover the alien uh, samples or technology or, or whatever. You know, they they wanted to use the aliens as as a, a weapon or a or something. So that, that, but that was the point. The point was that they were undermanned because the corporation didn't know just how bad the threat was, and they kind of wanted to, you know, they, they kind of wanted the aliens that didn't care about the human lives. Right, but the point of the threat isn't to say, okay, well, this happened because of the plot. The point of the threat is to say, okay, so if you were to analyze what happened from a military point of view, what were some of the errors that you would say, you know? Oh, I see. What were some of the errors that they engaged in? Okay, so the first big error is they sent in way too few troops. And they've got some other people in addition to that. They've got the lieutenant who's effectively a non-combatant because he just stays in the APC. They've got the android who is a non-combatant. I mean, he, he doesn't shoot. He might be, I think he's programmed to never take a life. They mentioned that in the, in the mess. Um, and they've got Ripley, who is officially non-combatant because she's a civilian until later when she, you know, picks up a gun. Um, so eight shooters for everything. But then you look at, and I'm not going to do the whole thread. Uh, it's up on Twitter. Put a link to it in the description. Um, 
you can look at um, like the discipline of the unit during the briefing. It's their first briefing with a new lieutenant and people are openly, um, they're openly insolent. They're openly joking around. They're kind of making fun of the unit and making fun of him. All of those things are no-nos, right? They speak of a breakdown discipline, a low esprit de corps. These are people who have, uh, are not the kind of, they're not doing what soldiers should do. And that means probably in combat, they weren't up to their full potential. They weren't a, as effective as they could be. There's a lot of problems in the unit, even before they go down to the planet. So it's not just that they didn't send enough people, the unit they did send is probably a crack unit that's been over-tasked uh, because of some other stuff I discussed. But the people are have been asked to do too much. And again, the stuff I go into in the thread shows why that's likely the case. The Colonial Marines are really big on automation, and that entire ship, for example, is automated. The navigation piloting there's no crew the ship has no crew there's not one sailor not one naval officer there's no captain first officer nothing there's just the marines so obviously the usmc is real big on automation and they're real big on hyper superior firepower so yeah i just go through and take a look at some of that stuff and it's really fascinating uh, at least as an exercise in thinking that way about things. Wow, I, that is really in depth. How has anybody has anybody um, ex-military actually done additional analysis on it? I uh, while I was searching for like some facts because I went to say something and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know that that's actually true. So I would like. Uh, do a search on the web to make sure I was saying the right, uh, what I was saying was accurate. I'm like, uh, I found out on Quora that somebody asked what mistakes did they make in the Aliens movie? Um, and I have no idea if uh, people who replied were ex-military, but I bet some of them had to be. So yeah, I'm sure you could find some on Quora too. Fair enough. But I just wanted to do my own thing. Well, I know you said you ran out of time, but you have my permission to continue the thread after the show. <laughs> so, anyways, that the fact that I spent all morning uh, doing that thread on and off in between doing other things was less embarrassing than the subject we're discussing. <laughs> uh, um, although it's it's kind of an interesting look into the future, thinking about life as a spacefaring people <clears throat> would ships like that be completely automated or nearly completely automated it's an interesting idea talking about the lack of sailors or or techs on on aboard a ship uh, now of course to have zero officers on the ship nobody capable of emergency maintenance or navigation that does seem a little Dude. risky but but the idea that the whole thing is automated isn't so far-fetched is it this uh this is one of the last things i wrote about it is that after combat drops the marines have to repair or replace everything and the only people who can perform maintenance on the drop ship are the air crew so the pilot and the weapons officer are have to do maintenance on their bird after every drop. That's gotta suck. <laughs> That's gotta be the worst thing ever. No wonder they're you know disgruntled about that. I'm sure <clears throat> they are demanding at least a maintenance crew be moved on board. Oh, we've My, got a, 
Go ahead. Sorry, my brother-in-law is in helicopter maintenance or was in helicopter maintenance. He worked, uh, he worked in a, uh, in a combat zone. Um, like a real, they got shelled by mortars combat zone, uh, fixing helicopters for, uh, missions and even got, um, even got put into a highly dangerous situation to do some repairs to a helicopter uh, and ended up having to do some other things to the helicopter. I, I really don't know how much more I'm allowed to say about that. All right. D dangerous situations, repairing helicopters under fire. We get it. Um, but You're yeah, crazy. he, he uh, so, so, the, so that's something I think about a lot when I see that dropship now is like, how do they maintain that thing? Wow. <laughs> it changes your perspective on everything. No, no. There actually though, there there is other things I have done this week. I didn't just spend I didn't just do the alien thing this week and then putter about on Twitter. Oh shockingly enough you you act surprised <laughs> well i've i've insider information that oh, that you did true. you did other stuff too but but did you did, what what was your week like well i tell you what i've uh, i finally gave in to the temptation of roll 20 uh, and have decided to uh, dip back into the waters of role playing online which is something I don't normally like to do. The uh, interaction at the table and the rolling of physical dice are a s significant part. I want to say essential part of enjoying the hobby. But uh, it's been great. I've been uh, playing a game with, uh, with a couple of friends, uh, old friend and new friend. And it's it's been a good experience. the The tools that we have are still a little clunky. Have you, we've used Roll Twenty before for uh, play tests in the past? Yes, yes, we did. The so you know the interface is a little clunky. There's a, a, a little bit of extra prep that the game master needs to do to sort of get all the maps and the technology and all the tokens right. And once once you've got all that stuff in place, then actually executing the game can be easy. But uh, we're all sort of muddling along, learning a new system, D&D uh, 5th edition for uh, the other guys, and uh, learning Roll20, uh, how to use that. Uh, um, and we are all really novices with it. I've never been a DM in it, so I, I only vaguely know how some of the tools work. So we're all sort of learning how to use the tools together. But... Uh, it's been a really good experience. Uh, it it does the trick. Uh, so we're we're just playing a couple of us uh, with D and D fifth edition small party, uh, small uh, small D and D game, and the DM's a very creative guy. <clears throat> so he he really puts the time in to make sure that we've got a, a colorful world to interact with. Um, yeah, about the about the tools. Yeah, Jeff Road, the maps and die rollers in Roll Twenty are really fiddly. Uh, the one saving grace that we have is that if you play with, uh, if you play just by the rules without any house rules in in D and D, they have a built-in uh, character sheet that's uh, sort of scripted so that it'll do most of the die rolls for you. You can just, uh, you know, you put your, you've got a sword uh, on your character sheet. You you put it in your little attack section. Hey, I've got a long sword, and it, it uses strength, and uh, I'm proficient in it, right? And it does a 1d8 damage. And you just click on it, and it'll send the roll straight to chat. So if you play entirely within roll 20, it's like I said, if you if you spend a few extra minutes sort of setting everything up the way you like it, boom, 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 boom. The game runs smoothly. Sweet. 
All right. We're going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to. Is Sorry. it time to speak of other games? No, I, I, it's time to speak of this nonsense, Jeffra. Theater of the Mind on Google Hangouts is the way to go in my book. You know what? I'm a big Theater of the Mind fan, but when given the online tools, I'm not sure that's the way to go. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to bend your ear on that later. Uh, that's really interesting. What, what about you, uh, DW? I really hate online stuff because it's constraining. And I'll tell you why. I I do stuff off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, and even if I make notes, I usually end up discarding. They, they are always wrong uh, because I end up discarding and I make up new NPCs and it's always better than the notes I took. So I could sit down and, and like sketch out a town or something and put characters in it. And then I would always discard them because I would come up with better stuff during the game. <laughs> um, so I hate getting prepped for like roll 20 or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just would rather sit around a table with my friends with some chips or pizza and roll dice and have books and stuff like that. Now I have used roll 20 for specific reasons for, like you said, play testing um, the role playing game, but man. I think that's my number one criticism is, is the setup time required. And it amplifies the problem of a DM who prepares the wrong stuff. And it, uh, it is very well tuned for the type of DM who, <clears throat> quote unquote, plays D&D wrong, where he's got a specific scenario that maybe he's purchased a module from Wizards of the Coast, and it's got it's all, all the maps and NPCs and everything like that. Boom. Load it into Roll20. Run it for your friends. Real easy. And not really a problem. But it's that sort of railroad scenario when the... Uh, if the players choose to do something else and you've got this map that you loaded and made sure it was set up with all the right tokens for all the monsters and everything like that, and they don't interact with that module, which is common, especially not interacting with it in the way that the designers intended, uh, because most people, myself included, don't know how to write modules at all, even people in the industry. So... Yeah, exactly, Jeffro. If you're prepping Roll20, you're playing D&D wrong. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, but the uh, not exactly. Uh, the problem is is time. If if you came at Roll20 the way a uh, traditional uh, old school DM did and simply had a library of dungeons that you know dun maps, dungeons, towns, and things that you could tap into when you needed something on the fly, that would work. But uh, it's it, it's still a lot of overhead. It sounds like everything makes it easy. Technology makes it easy. In this case, I think we're discovering, and maybe this is old news for people who play online all the time, I think we're discovering that pen and paper is the best technology for that type of game. Yeah. Anyway. For me. That's my rant. It's been fun as heck, though, to play when uh, in the age of social distancing and uh, I may even, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to get back into the groove of running my own game, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have a group near you, then, I mean, World 20 or whatever other virtual game, virtual tabletops you have access to are, are really the next best thing. And so it, it's a question between not, playing at all or uh, using Roll20, then of course Roll20 is going to be better. So. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, although if, if you have a group that can do Theater of the Mind... See, I've, I've run games for a lot of people who can't handle Theater of the Mind. They really need a, a battle mat, at least for combat. And uh, I get that. I understand that. And so... Uh, for some people, that's just the way they like to play. And that works. That's fine. And you need something like that. But if you don't need something like that, then, you know, I suppose StreamYard or 
or Skype or what are the what are the kids using this these days? Zoom. Zoom? Oh yes, uh, I, I have a I have a funny Zoom story uh, to tell you. It's it's horrible. <laughs> if 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 we're done talking about role playing, sure. Uh, apparently, Zoom makes it very easy for you to do a online ad hoc meeting, sort of like I mean Skype has always been able to do it. I don't know why everybody wants to use Zoom now, but whatever. Uh, so people are doing like online classes, uh, online meetings for work or whatever. Like, and they're and unfortunately, people aren't taking advantage of the privacy and security features of their Zoom channels. Have you heard about this? No. <laughs> trolls, <laughs> trolls are getting a hold of um, the Zoom meeting coordinates. And often it's a public meeting like, hey, you know, while we're all on uh, this, we're all uh, stuck at home, let's have a meeting and talk about, you know, such and such association is, is going to have a public meeting on, on some sort of idea or plot or something like that. <laughs> and so people like 4chan trolls and the like are getting these zoom links or zoom coordinates and they're just popping in and and completely bombing these meetings it's <laughs> it's <laughs> i shouldn't laugh right i should I, I i should but it's the internet right i shouldn't laugh it's it's incredibly rude and, and childish and everything like that but yeah sometimes a bored teenager is gonna drop into someone's neighborhood book club zoom chat because they didn't password protect it and about 15 minutes in they're just gonna spam the n-word in the chat and everything like that and i'm like oh goodness gracious Anyway, you can find some examples of that happening online, and if you have a sick sense of humor, you'll enjoy it. Uh, or if you're just looking to get outraged at uh, at at uh, immature trolls, then uh, you can enjoy that. So, public service announcement: If you're using Zoom, please password protect those channels. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, okay, that's funny. <laughs> I just I find it amusing when people forget they're on the internet. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's like have you not been paying attention? <laughs> this is the internet. <laughs> this is what they do. I'm gonna mention this story real quick. Oh, that reminds me. That reminds me of uh, of Microsoft's Tay, where they did the AI, yeah. and <laughs> it would just it would the, the it was just repeating what people would tell it to say, and so naturally the trolls would get it to say the most awful things ever. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think, like I'm talking to coworkers, and I'm like, D does has anybody in R and D ever been on the internet? To the <laughs> D did they not know that? Did they not know about Bodie McBoatface? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, that was beautiful. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta sit back and admire that kind of thing. I do at least. It was, it was amazing. It was. I was just like, that's a thing of beauty. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know. I, I guess I admire a certain level of uh, of quality trolling is just uh, is, is admirable. Once once it gets to a certain level, it's 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 art, you know. For sure, it's a great way of humbling people. It's it's humbling, yeah. right? Because <laughs> everybody's taking themselves super seriously, and yeah, I mean. You don't want obnoxious kids yelling obscenities at you when you're trying to get work done or something like that. But uh, which is which, which is why I was so boggled by Microsoft's reaction. 
uh, where the you know the people you know the people responsible are flagellating themselves in public and and the uh, <laughs> and and the company you know gives an apology for all the horrible things that their AI repeated by some trolls. It's it was it could have been humbling instead. You just say, hey, all right, we goofed. <laughs> We goofed. Sorry about that. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, Thank you for finding this vulnerability, you jerks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing is now you know a whole bunch of things that you just put in the database. Okay, don't repeat these or whatever. And then you send it back out again. It's a way of hardening. Um, it's a way of hardening the... Uh, the AI against future interactions. <laughs> So, anyway, we weren't talking about games, but I finished a game this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I finished Resident Evil 3. Oh, finally, three weeks after paying for it. It's been three weeks? Man, I can't even count. Uh, so, so Resident Evil 3 I am... If you're in high school... There's always that kid that you've never had any classes with who doesn't really live close to you and you don't have any friends in common and you don't really know each other well, but you see them in the halls all the time and you're kind of friendly. And so when you see each other, you do that little chin wave thing and you're cool that way, but you don't really know each other. That's the way I am with time recently. <laughs> You're like, aware that it passes, but it's yeah. it's just some time passed. <laughs> so, like, it's amazing we got the show a, off on time. Yeah, I know <laughs> that it's a new day, but which exact day it is, I'm often kind of fuzzy on. And if you ask me, like, how many weeks ago X thing happened, if I could give it to you within two or three weeks of the actual date, I'm doing pretty well. I could, I know pretty much which hour or minute it is, but like days and weeks are real fuzzy. Even months are kind of, kind of glitching out on me. So when you say, "Hey, you paid for this game three weeks ago," I just kind of have to believe you, because I have no idea if that's true or false. <laughs> I literally, I, I'm not. DW, it's been two years. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in a coma. So, I've been in a coma. That, that would not surprise me. <laughs> Guess what? Donald Trump is president. <laughs> that would have wigged me out at one point in time. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I finished Resident Evil 3. Uh, actually, though, it's supposed to be a remake of Resident Evil 3, mm -hmm. but apparently I only finished two-thirds of Resident Evil 3. Oh, yeah, you never played it through? No. They cut out a third of the original game. Did they? Just chopped it out and threw it away. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you, man. Resident Evil 3 as, as a narrative was not memorable at all. I heard it was a, a get-rich-quick cash grab made to capitalize on the success of Resident Evil 2. There's no question. They used uh, many of the same assets, many of the same locations. Uh, story with a popular character from Resident Evil 1, and and uh, it was it was a it was a fun game actually. But that's all it is. Um. And they apparently cut out all of the puzzles except, like, two, including all of the hard puzzles. The two puzzles that were left were, like, super-duper easy. Huh. Uh, and that was really disappointing in a Resident Evil game. Yeah, that's for sure. That's sort of what you... Ex well, I don't know. I really checked out of the series after Resident Evil 4. But well, that was part of the appeal of Resident Evil is this you're in this weird world where the police station is some old mansion with 
trap doors and weird puzzles and things. And that was sort of part of the appeal. Having to conserve, but they went, it, it, they pretended like you had to conserve ammo, but the truth was you could just gun everything down and it was fun that way. Um, I like the puzzles in Resident Evil. Resident Evil 4 had great puzzles. Uh, I don't remember the puzzles from Resident Evil 5, but I enjoyed them when I was playing it. Resident Evil 7 had awesome puzzles, man. Oh, they had great puzzles. They really? put so much time into their puzzles. Resident Evil 7 was the one that you were playing in first person in the Louisiana Bayou. Oh, man, they had fabulous puzzles. They just had just great puzzles that were interesting and colorful and involving. They did such a good job on that game. And this game, they just took them all out. I'm like, look. Now, now that sounds like a cash grab. I was disappointed. Oh, that's too bad. No, actually... I wasn't, I mean, I was disappointed they didn't have puzzles, but I was more offended because I, I didn't have a chance to play the earlier Resident Evil games um, because I didn't own a, a console. I, I was broke, serially broke during those times. I was living hand to mouth and, um, you know, bargain shopping for ramen noodles and stuff. Um, it was a very bad time for me personally. And so I, I couldn't buy a game console and I couldn't buy Resident Evil games. Uh, and I didn't own a PC, so I couldn't, uh, you know, I think some of them made their way under the PC, um, but I couldn't buy a PC and play them. So it, uh, when they started doing these remakes, I was all excited because it's like, okay, finally I get a chance to to play these classic games, I can get caught up on um, on some of these older games. And then, you know, they, they quote-unquote remake this game and cut out a third of it. Uh, so I, I don't even have a chance to even get near what the experience was. And I, I'm just, I'm ticked, I'm offended. I'm just wondering what the hell they were thinking. Why wouldn't you... I mean, it's not like the the PS4 or the Xbox doesn't have the power or memory or whatever to do it. Uh, it, it just is really disappointing. Um, and what game is there just wasn't as good as 2. 2 was, was delightful to play. I really enjoyed the heck out of that. I've, I've played through 2 two or three times. But uh, three, I played through once now, and I just, I have no desire to play it again. It just doesn't interest me to play it again. It was not that, was not that enjoyable. <clears throat> well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, the Let me ask you the one thing that, stands out actually mentioned in the chat uh, coyote con mentions the nemesis right that's that's the the thing that i remember most about that game is that it's supposed to be a uh tense uh chase scene throughout the game that you're you're always car sorry constantly hounded by this giant monster whose sole purpose apparently is to murder your character and you've got to just run from it throughout the whole game. Uh, that is, unless you gun it down with all your ammunition, in which case he drops the most powerful weapons. But that's that's PlayStation games for you. <laughs> um, how was that? Was that was that present in the game? Is was that the main focus of the game? That chase between you and the nemesis. Um. The nemesis was not as, no, that's the answer, no. The other guy from 2 did it better. 
Nemesis looked cooler, but you couldn't really run from him because he was faster than you. And if you did get in front of him, he would always hit you with a tentacle and pull you back towards him. Um, and he only showed up at scripted moments, not really... I mean, it's Mr. X, right, from the second game? Mm-hmm. Mr. X would show up if you made a lot of noise. Oh. In the police station. Interesting. So if you were cautious, you could do stuff. And, and, and he would still show up at other times. But you, you would get him a lot more if you were being noisy. So you could make uh, make your run safer by being quieter or using quieter weapons, using the gun with the silencer, even though it wasn't as powerful, whatever. Um, but he still showed up, and there was some tension about it and some questions about it. But this guy, um, he was too overwhelming when he did show up, and so there wasn't any... You didn't have the feeling that if you played well, you could outmaneuver him and, and get around him and get away like you did with Mr. X. Um, with Mr. X, if you if you played badly, he would grab you and throw you to the ground or, you know, punch you or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But if you played well, you had a chance of getting around him and getting away. So in that sense, it was fair. It gave you... Uh, it gave you an incentive to try and and play well, and if you didn't, well, th- that was fair. I mean, you, you got smacked down. It was your own fault, and it was cool. This guy just, no matter what, at least the way when I was playing it, it felt like no matter what I did, he would always smack me around. So, um, well, I think it was satisfying. That's too bad. The the I think the the shtick or the the thing they added in Resident Evil Three was that it was basically the Resident Evil Two engine, but they added a dodge mechanic, and so the nemesis was often jumped around corners and surprised you, and could be faster, and also had a rocket launcher. But the idea is that if if he get closed in with you, you would be if you knew how to play well, you could dodge the attack and run away which sort of balanced the the fact that he could just come tearing down the hallway at you i don't know well i'm not gonna bother then i mean i would have bought it i was going to have bought this anyway because i really did want to you know at least, and, and I know that the play style is completely different, so this isn't Resident Evil 3. I understand that. But still, I, I wanted to at least experience some of that classic Resident Evil stuff. And it's really disappointing to me that they cut it all out and that there weren't any puzzles. Uh, yeah. So oh, disappointing. Well. Um, oh, now I'm all depressed. I'm like, oh... No. Oh no. no. Talk about something nice. Yeah. Um I did see Onward this week. Oh, you did. What'd you think? I loved it. It was a great movie. Cool. Um and you did a full review like a week before last. Something like that. Yeah, so I, I, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to make the list of Pixar Pixar's greatest hits, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's an it was, enjoyable movie. It was enjoyable. It was sweet. Um, and uh, it's already on Disney Plus streaming, so <laughs> straight to video. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. It's 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 the quarantine. Movie theaters are uh, have had attendance drop to nothing, and and in fact, in some places, by law now, they're dropping straight to nothing. AMC movie theaters uh, may be going out of business permanently after this. 
Oh. Wow. Wow. I mean, that would be a, that would be a shame, but I think I've talked about this. Oh, I didn't mean to be negative. We're being positive. Oh yeah. Speaking of movies I've saw in the last week, um, I saw a Luke Besson movie called Anna. And, uh, I saw another movie that was recommended to me by one of the Pulp Revolution. I can't remember who, um, called Freaks. Um, and I enjoyed both of those. Um, let's do Freaks first. Freaks, uh, okay. Freaks is kind of like... It's the X-Men in a realistic universe. That's kind of pretty pretty much what it's like. <laughs> there are these abnormal people called that people call freaks. They're loathed and hated. The government captures them and quote unquote resettles them. Um to a happy, peaceful place where they can live apart from everyone else to keep people safe. Um, but really, the the dangerous ones get executed. Oh. They stick them in cells inside this place called the mountain. Um, there's a little girl who's abnormal and her dad is abnormal. And they live inside a house and hide from everyone else so that nobody can see them or and turn them in and uh, one and so she's had to live inside this house without going out for seven years hmm. and one day she decides that she's not going to take it anymore and things happen from there. All right. I've, I've got the IMDb up here. This is the one from Zach Lepovsky. Yeah, do you want to put that up on the... Yeah, let me find this. Da -da. Put that up for the stream. So, okay, that's that's the general framework, but what, what kind of movie is it? What, what was it like? It was pretty brutal and uh, bloody. <laughs> the uh, the trailer was really cool. Um, it was a lot bloodier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It, it's obviously, it's a low budget movie, but they do a lot with their budget. They use it very well, the budget they have. Um, and I guess I'd, I'd give it the same quality, the same qualified recommendation I give most movies, which is, you know, if you like this kind of movie, this'll, you'll probably really like this. It's a really good example of what kind of movie it is. What was that found footage film? And I'm sure somebody listening in the chat can tell us the found footage film where the three kids get superpowers and uh, one of them goes a little bit crazy and they fight each other. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's just a single word. Yeah. I know, so, the, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I'm, and I didn't even think about this, how topical that is for the current quarantine, being forced to live inside your house for seven years. <laughs> Simon Hogwood says, uh, the way things are going, that seems about six years and ten months too long. <laughs> <laughs> chronicle. Okay, Catholic uh, Lancer says Chronicle by... Chronicle, yep. Directed by Josh Trank, yeah. So um, it's a lot like chronicle kind of spiritually not in the details or anything but it did it did remind me a lot of chronicle so 
if you like those kinds of movies, I'm sure you'll like this one. Uh, and I didn't like Chronicle, but I did enjoy this movie. I was worth watching once. Um, it was interesting. They did interesting things with the powers. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? They did fascinating things with the girl's powers. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed her power set. I really enjoyed seeing how they developed that. I really enjoyed seeing how she used her power set to do something that nobody else could. Um, and the entire last, like, I want to say 20% of the movie is her um, tricking and outmaneuvering something to save someone very close to her. Um, and I think the movie is kind of worth it just for those scenes alone. It has a really good ending. And it is bloody and brutal in a lot of places, but the ending made it worth it for me because uh, it was interesting uh, that way. Fair. And I, yeah. <laughs> there, there was enough stuff going on. And, and maybe this is me, and this is my bent that I've talked about before. It's like a lot of times when I'm watching a movie, I'm thinking about what's at play in the movie, about the concepts and ideas, or at least I'm absorbing them. And if they're doing interesting things in the movie, I'm entertained. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that's as much as you can say about it. I mean, it's it's obviously a... Obviously, a, a B movie done with low budget, and and by now you'll know if you want to see it. And, and it is imaginative. That's the thing is, is I say X Men, but it's not like it's a ripoff of the X Men. It's not like okay, this character is uh, Colossus, and this character is Cyclops, and this character is Rogue. All the characters in there are. Um, they're not ripoffs, direct ripoffs of any comic book characters. So, so it, it's imaginative in that sense. Is they're not trying to rip off the X Men. They're doing their own thing. It's just like abnormals are pretty much mutants. Okay. Oh, and I need to see Glass. I haven't seen Glass, but I. Do really you though? Do you have to see Glass? I've seen the other two. I might as well see Glass. Okay, very, very well. Um, I I did not see Split. I skipped Split, um, and I saw Glass hoping for Unbreakable 2, which is not what that film is. Yeah, Unbreakable was fabulous. Just I amazing. really enjoyed that one. So, Okay. We have eight minutes left, and now I can talk about Anna. Cool. Which is about as much time. Um, Anna is a Luc Besson movie. Luc Besson is the guy who did Taken. He's the guy who did La Femme Nikita. He's the guy who did The Fifth Element. He's the guy who did, you know, all of those movies and many, many more besides. He does lots and lots of... Um, Lots and lots of action movies, and he's had kind of in. He does a lot of wild stuff, and so he just takes, takes it, puts together, throws it out there, and some of them, really, really come off well, and some of them really, really don't. He did Lucy. Um, which yeah, I, Lucy didn't work. I really did not like Lucy. <laughs> in fact. <laughs> I believe I reviewed Lucy twice because I did the first review when the movie came out and we talked about it on the show. And then like a year later, for some reason, we got off into talking. I got off into talking about Lucy again and I ranted about how much I didn't like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't remember what my review was at the time, but but thinking back, that movie was aggressively dumb. <laughs> that's, that's a really stupid movie. So, Luke Besson does some great movies, and he also does some pretty bad movies. And I would say that Anna is is a movie that it's astounding on a couple of different levels. I'm going to set that aside for just a second. It's a movie that plays with a lot of themes that he's done before. There's a just a an amazingly beautiful girl um, who is a Russian agent posing as a supermodel um, who's actually a KGB assassin. Um, and she threw a bunch of different machinations and betrayals and crosses and double crosses. Um, she's trying to get out of the KGB and secure her, her freedom. She wants to live life free of other people's constraints of being ordered around and stuff. And that's the tale of the movie. And I have not seen La Femme Nikita. And for those of you who are going to demand if I, I just had a, you know, sheltered upbringing or if my parents didn't love me or, or whatever, I, I don't know. I just haven't seen the movie yet. I want to. It's kind of on my list. They haven't seen it yet. I've been told by several of the people this treads a lot of the same ground as La Femme Nikita. Um, so... Take that for what you will. I haven't seen La Femme Nikita. I can't speak to that. What I can say is that the movie has a lot of great stuff in it and a lot of good things going for it. And it's still really rough in parts. Um, and it doesn't quite fit together well enough to make it a great movie. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie. Um, now, some of the things they did well are... They uh, they hired an actual model to play the model. An actual, like, world-class model to play uh, uh, the world-class model in the movie. Her name is Sasha Luce... Um, and she is quite really superbly beautiful. Um, and again, that's that is uh, just adds verisimilitude to the movie because her character is supposed to be quite really superbly beautiful, the kind of woman who men get stupid for. Um, and I don't know if you want to. Oh yeah. <laughs> let's let's find out for anybody hanging out on YouTube. <laughs> the uh But what's also at least was impressive to me is she actually can act. Uh-huh. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying she's the best actress in the world and she's turned in an Oscar-worthy performance. I'm saying that this character was put in a number of different situations where she went through a number of different changes. In one part, she's this beaten down, scrawny, poor girl who's dirty um, and depressed and suicidal. In another part, she's uh, struggling and unsure and sad. In another part, she's confident. In another part, she's happy and playful with a lover. And she pulls off all of those scenes well. She's not, she wasn't noticeably bad in any of them. She delivered. She did what she was supposed to do as an actress. So, I don't know what to say. They got a model. This is her very, very first acting job. And she delivered. 
she, well, she must have had great coaching. She did well in the movie. Um, the movie didn't do well in America, and it didn't do very well overseas. So it was, I don't know if it if it earned out its production and publicity budget, but um, it definitely, uh, there's a lot of good material here. Oh, yeah, and the other thing is the action scenes. The action scenes I thought were, were great. And they're usually things that uh, Luc Besson does well. Action scenes are things he does really well. The action scenes in this movie were great. They were imaginative. Um, they weren't hyper, you know, over the top. This is not something that uh, you would get in the really over the top, like John Wick action scenes. But they were good action scenes. And she looked credible doing them. Uh, her physicality, whenever it was her on screen, she looked credible doing them. So you've got this model who could pull off acting and doing action scenes. And I just, uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty astounding to, to in a movie that was kind of rough, to have a, a leading lady be able to pull that off, I thought that was a good. Uh, I thought that was a good find, and it kind of elevated the movie over what it, over what it would have been otherwise. I mean, if if Luke Besson does one thing well, it's pick out good eye candy for uh, his <laughs> for yes. the actors. I think the I, I think Lucy is the standout failure. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had, uh, Cillian Murphy is in this movie. Um, oh, he's good. He's, yeah, he's really good. He turns in a good performance. Helen Mirren is in the movie. Um, she plays a KGB, uh, managing director or whatever, who's in charge of Anna. Um, and a big beefy slab of a guy who... You've seen in several things. He was in the third John Wick movie. He played the head of the Assassins Guild, uh, the mm -hmm. guy in the white in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. um, he was in um, one of the Fast and the Furious movies where he played Helen Mirren's son. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen him. I just don't remember his name. But anyways, um, all of these, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. It's not a great movie. Fair. And uh, yeah, again, if you like spy movies, if you like, um, you like movies where, you know, you do karate and gunfights and planning things and getting away with them and you have some spy gadgets and stuff, it's an enjoyable movie. Give it a watch. Cool. All right. I think we're out of time, DW. We are. Fun. Ooh, and that lasted exactly 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Self high five. <laughs> um, well, I'm. D <laughs> uh, Got that finally, did you? <laughs> It, it was one of those things where I, I tried to let it go and my mind wouldn't let me. <laughs> Did he just, yeah, no. All right, fine. <laughs> well, yeah. Welcome to the geek gap beef 99 and everybody else hanging out in chat. It's good hanging out, talking with you, daddy Warpig. I appreciate uh, spending the time with you on a busy Saturday where we're all stuck at home and, uh, talking about all the stuff that we love and, and interests us. Uh, and thanks for everybody listening uh, later in their, on their drive or whatever. Uh, it's been cool hanging out. Um, as I clatter some dishes together here and you get to hear that folks, that's just extra service, extra service from the gab. Um, I want to thank everybody who came and participated in the chat. Got a lot of good feedback, a lot of good, uh, helping me remember what Chronicle was named. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and we want to welcome Beef99. Um, and uh, 
I will say this in regards to your question. We don't usually, we don't talk about politics usually on the show because um, I do that all week and we're just kind of hanging out on the weekends. Um, but I definitely think that movies and TV shows and comics and everything else has become way, way too political and way, way too preachily political. Um, and I would just like a return to writers and directors and actors who know that the reason they exist is to entertain first and above all and above anything else. If you want to put a message in there, that's your choice, but always, 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 you must be entertaining first. You have to, you have to do, uh, you have to give something to the audience. You have to make them feel uh, excited or enthralled or horrified or thrilled. You just have to move them. And if you're preaching at them all the time, you can't do that. And I don't want to, I don't want to live in a world where the only, where the only forms of entertainment have all been turned into propaganda. I don't need to be propagandized at constantly. I need good entertainment, enjoyable entertainment. Um, and if I find some, I want to tell people about it. So that's, that's not why we started the show, but that's kind of one of the things we do on the show. If we find good entertainment, we share it with you guys. Um, so again, welcome, welcome to the Geek Gab. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody who is listening live. Thanks to everybody who will tune in later. Um, we're available at youtube.com slash geek gab. That's youtube.com slash geek gab. We're also available on the Apple iTunes Store. We're available on the Google Play Store. And we're available on SoundCloud.com. You can just subscribe to us in all those places and download us to the device of your choice. Listen to us uh, whenever you please. We, uh, we have to go for today. So we're signing out. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.